Welcome to the National Minority Supply Development Council's Equity in Business Podcast. We are on site at the National Minority Supplier Council's annual conference that also includes MBDA. We met some exciting people here, and one of them is our special guest, Dr. Anthony Kinslow II. Uh, sir, it is a pleasure to have you here. Please tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Appreciate you having me. Yes, sir. Uh, so, uh, Anthony Kinslow, I grew up in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, born in Nashville, Tennessee. I work and educate in the clean energy economy and the clean energy space. My background is in civil engineering from North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University. No, I keep going. Uh, went there for uh, my bachelor's and then continued on to do my master's and PhD at Stanford University, where I now lecture uh, two courses, uh, Racial Equity and Energy and Quest for an Inclusive Clean Energy Economy. And in addition to teaching, I also have my own company. I'm founder and CEO of Gemini Energy Solutions. Uh, we are a clean tech company working to democratize the clean energy society. Yeah. You mentioned that you teach a course in equity. And you have founded a company that's focused in on creating equity in the clean energy arena. How do those go together? Well, one of the things we talk about in our class, as well as um, what we practice in our business, is this idea that equity is really our only real pathway to accelerating our clean energy transition. Oftentimes, we look at equity as kind of a side item, a nice to have, a cherry on top. But the reality is that if we do not focus and prioritize equitable solutions, solutions that uh, can reach different people in the way they need to be reached, we're not gonna be able to solve this climate change crisis that we're in. We're not gonna be able to address climate change in the way that makes life better for everyone, as opposed to just a few. Mm -hmm. And we're not gonna be any of our carbon emission uh, targeted goals for America or the world. Is that what motivated you to found Gemini Energy Solutions? It was, it okay, was, it okay. was. <laughs> so I, uh, when I was at a and you know, a historically black university, there's no shortage of black people who care about the environment there, who care about energy, buildings, et cetera. When I got to Stanford, I was the only one. And it was then going to conferences, uh, engaging at, on campus where I realized that folks in the energy efficiency space in particular, there was not a lot of me. And I also recognized that my colleagues my, uh, who were leaving Stanford to start companies were also not starting companies that were going to address my communities, the communities that look like me. They weren't addressing small commercial buildings, which are predominantly in the um, black and brown communities. Hmm. And what people don't realize is that 90% of the commercial building stock is under 25,000 square feet, which means 90% of the buildings was not being looked at by the industry as a whole. And most of those buildings are in black and brown neighborhoods. And so I wanted to create a solution that not only addressed this gap in the, in the industry of small commercial, but also do so in a way that enabled more people from diverse backgrounds uh, women of uh, rural areas as well, to be able to participate and have immediate impact in this climate change, in this clean energy uh, economy. 
What I hear also is in your responsibilities as the CEO and founder of Gemini Energy Solutions, you're looking holistically at how it can impact the underserved community Absolutely. because health comes to bear. Would you elaborate on that as a concept? Yeah, so I like to think of it in three parts. You have health, wealth, and education, right? Um, the health side of it, very clearly, there's a health disparities in terms of uh, age of, of death, um, the pot uh, potential of dying due to uh, pollution, whether that be air, water, or soil. Uh, I believe the EPA, the NEPA analysis found that race is the uh, is the highest predictor for whether a person lives in a polluted area, whether mm. that be soil, water, or air. Race, not not income, right? And so when we think about health across a racial over a racial dimension, clean energy falls into that. Trucks and cars. Most of our communities were built, or rather, tra public transportation, highways, freeways, major uh, thoroughfares were built, or next to our communities or through our communities, right? So we have a disproportionate. Uh, amount of pollution from it. Going clean energy means changing those gas vehicles, those in, internal combustion engines into electric. That right there is gonna make a huge difference in our health. When we talk about buildings, uh, a study found, came out last year that found that, nat uh, that natural gas, having a natural gas stove or having a natural gas heater, having natural gas in your home is equivalent to having a full-time smoker in your house. Mm. What does that do for the health of our of, of us? So we, we're not safe inside, we're not safe outside in our own communities. And so clean energy is about switching those uh, pollutants that disproportionately impact black and brown folks and removing that from the space so that we are able to have healthier air, we're able to live longer, asthma reductions. There's no reason the amount of asthma we see in our communities should be as high as they are. We just assume this, uh, this DNA gets passed on. That's not the case. It's actually environmental. You know, as I was listening to you, I always wondered as a kid why we were near the railroad tracks and the transmission lines and the highways were over where we played basketball. Mm -hmm. So it was by design is what I'm hearing. Absolutely. Say. Absolutely. Um, that said, when you ponder all the things you've shared with us, in the end game, what impact do you want to have in underserved communities? predicated upon the mission, vision, values, and objectives you have clearly stated in this podcast today? What I would like to see, the impact I would like to have is that healthy, resilient, and regenerative communities. And what that means for me is when a storm comes and we know that storms and droughts and flooding are gonna happen more frequently and, and, and have, have a higher severity, that these communities are able to, to maintain their operation independent of what's hitting them. That they are able to, that the, that the jobs that are being created in their communities, that the buildings that are being built in their communities, that uh, the food that is grown in their communities all stays and operates in their communities. So regenerative, that they can maintain their economy, that they can build and grow and be increased wealth through the development of food, 
jobs in technology. So I want to see Gemini catalyze that to help create conditions where that is feasible. And our work at developing clean energy hubs with black churches across this country is one way that we're doing that. There would be no food deserts in the hood. Exactly. Those should be thriving food areas. Understood. Uh, this is a wonderful conversation. I have one more question for you. Um, and this is to keep all parties involved who are watching humble, <laughs> honest, and hungry for the truth. Give us a little brief synopsis of that history that by design created the toxic circumstances you talked about in terms of health, education, and wealth creation. So we, most of the viewers here are gonna hear about redlining and redlining being the systematic uh, partitioning out of certain areas based on race of uh, where uh, loans could be made by banks, uh, whether housing, could, uh, loans for housing, loans for businesses, et cetera, right? So if you think about just redlining in its nature, and you think about the built environment, homes, uh, infrastructure, all of that kind of trickles down where you have inefficient homes that cost more energy to maintain, which means that you have to, that your more of your annual income is going toward paying for comfort because you, 50 years ago, those homes weren't, you weren't able to get a loan to improve those homes, right? Then you go over to transportation and we understand that zoning and the design of our transportation infrastructure here in America was intentionally put into our neighborhoods because they were seen as the neighborhoods that could sacrifice. Someone uses the term sacrifice zones, right? That was yeah. always our communities were the sacrifice zones. Indigenous, also the same situation, sacrifice zones. And so you got access to money, limited. You had transportation purposely destroying and building through communities, relocating communities, and not giving them the right money to restart, right? It was just move. And then you also have the dynamic of jobs in technology. We've seen with the access to high-speed internet and who has and who doesn't. It's real, it's, there's a clean overlap between these communities and access to high-speed internet and or lack thereof. There's a real issue in terms of, there's not just food deserts, there's energy efficiency deserts. There's solar deserts. And now there are EV charging deserts. And it, it's very clearly mapped across all of these verticals the disparities that we see. So what we've what we've come to realize is that the policies from post-reconstruction and Jim Crow to more modern day times has consistently compounded the disparities that existed. And it's not just in the South. We see this in every major city across the country. It's excellent. I want to thank Dr. Anthony Kinslow for joining us on the National Minority Supplier Council's Equity in Business podcast. I look forward to hearing more about your work in the future. 
I admire you and I thank you for taking some time here with the National Minority Supplier Development Council's Equity and Business Podcast and look forward to next time. Thank you. Thank you, sir.